The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, stackers, just a quick note before we get today's show a-rolling. I know a lot of you follow our movie and television suggestions, and you also may know that every year I publish my top movies. I list every single movie that I saw the year before. This last year, I saw 39, which is down significantly from the 62 that I saw the year before, but still a big number. I saw a lot more TV this year, as some of you that follow the show closely know. But I've listed them from best to worst. If you want to see my rankings and avoid bad movies, which will be the bottom third of the movies that I saw, and also if you want to help the show and you watch them on Amazon, we have click-throughs right to Amazon. So you'll help the show. We get a little thank you from Amazon when you do that. And you also can make sure that you don't see movies that stink. Uh, Here's where you go. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash 2015. It's StackingBenjamins.com. And the number 2015. All right, let's get on it. Hi, this is James Kinson from the Cash Car Convert Podcast. When I'm not crushing car debt, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. On today's show, we're getting radical. From radical personal finance, Joshua Sheets. Plus, why 44% of top U.S. executives don't want to hire you. And it's not because of all those papers you plagiarized in college, Mike. Yeah, we know you did that. And we'll have a discussion of the recent film, The Big Short. And now, two guys we refer to as a couple of big shorts, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J. Big shots. Big shots, yes. Yeah, got that. R. Totally got that wrong. Unless you're from the Northeast, then there's an R in just about everything, isn't there? I'm not going to touch that. That's making fun of another area, man. I'm not making fun of anybody. Yes, I'm just saying that you just throw an R in there and you fit in. It's fine. It's all right. It's good. It's like now, you know, I've got to learn to start saying y'all now that I'm. Here. You don't say y'all? I don't. Why not? It's so much easier. I know, and it's more appropriate too, isn't it? Yeah. You guys. Use guys. Hey. Hey, use guys. Okay. Uh, right. Use guys want to go get a cheeseburger? <laughs> hey, welcome to the Stacking like Benjamin so Show. easier just to let it go. <laughs> I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And on today's show, we've got some fun because, as Doug so appropriately said before, Joshua Sheets, radical personal finance, getting radical, OG. It's getting radical here on the show. It's going to be crazy. We're going to talk about Dave Ramsey. You want to be Dave Ramsey? We're going to show you how to invest like Dave Ramsey to become. And by the way, it ain't a rip on Dave Ramsey, OG. This is not going to be a anti-Dave Ramsey show. 
That's okay. He's a nice guy. I think it's good. I'm just pointing out that just because we're pointing out a different... Put your pitchforks away, everyone. Easy. And torches. You know how the Dave Ramsey fans get. And that's not a slight... I I, I was thinking they're going to come with us to go torch and pitchfork Dave Ramsey. (laughs) His fans are? No. Our fans. Oh, our fans. Yeah. Put them away, everybody, because Dave is a friend, and Dave's always trying to get on the show, and we never seem to have time for him. But something we do have time for is to head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You know why, OG? Because you save so much money when you go there. $450 on average. I love getting letters from people saying, guess what? I just found out how bad my checking account stinks. Because I went to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You can also up that. So I'm talking to my brother on the phone and my brother says, I hear your magnified money commercial all the time. Right. And I've heard Nick on the show. I just never think it applies to me. So he goes, so he never opens his bank statements because he does all his banking online. So in fact, he was saying the other day, doesn't he know why he still gets bank statements? He's like, I should have had that turned off. But anyway, he said he decided to look after listening to a recent show. Point zero one. He said, I made three cents of interest on my money market account. Yeah, nothing good. Stackofbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money and my brother and everybody else out there will find heaven. That's what we call it here, heaven, right? And another place it's heaven if you pay your bills on time, stackofbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi. These are so bad. It's S-O-F-I. Don't call it Sophie, OG. It's SoFi. And when you go to SoFi, what you'll find is that they have fantastic rates on refinancing your student loans. Talked on Monday about our friend Cece saving her friend a bunch of money because she told her about stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, S-O-F-I. Dan Macklin, the gang over there, they do a great job of taking care of you when it comes to your personal loans, to refinancing your house, buying a new house, or student loans, the area that they started with. That is that. You know what? Sponsors are happy. Fans are happy. Let's make you and I happy by talking about some headlines, OG. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. I know why 44% of the top U.S. executives don't want to hire you, OG. Because I'll overshadow them in the boardroom. (laughs) Joshua Spodek, contributor from Inc.com, wrote this at Inc.com recently. In a survey of U.S. executives, 44% said Americans lack soft skills, which are poorly taught by traditional education. You know, we were talking about English majors a couple weeks ago. Don't get that riled up again. Put those pitchforks away. We're about to say something good about English majors. Because soft skills, it turns out, are the area that most employers think that people are competent when it comes to the area of expertise, OG. They don't know how to get along with other people. You have to be nice to your cube mates. And isn't that horrible? Isn't that... The, Office that, mates. That's yeah. the thing you have a problem with, isn't it? Well, that's, I think that's why you keep me down here. But I have been known to have a tough working environment relationship before. Which is not good. Do you recognize well, that is not good? I don't necessarily care. Yeah. Because... You see those studies about how hard it is to train a new employee, though, and how much money you lose... Well, that's like the whole Zappos thing, right? They go through the whole first two weeks of training and then tell them, we will give you a $2,000 check to leave. Yeah. If this isn't for you, take the two grand and run because it's more expensive for us to keep you around than it is just to cut you a check right now. 
They say that the U.S. is not the only country monopolizing this stat, that the people don't know how to interface with other people across the Atlantic. study by Development Economics Research Group last year estimated that by 2025, the shortage of soft skills in the U.K. alone could cost as much as $22 billion a year in foregone economic output just because people don't know how to communicate with each other and get the job done right the first time. We've talked about this. People- I bet you if you could do it with emojicons. Emoticons, emojicons, what are they called? Just completely. Anger face, anger face, lightning bolt. <laughs> that means get your act together. That I means, don't know what it means. That means we need you to be more productive. A commercial with Mike Krzyzewski from Duke, where he like, he texts his, his former player <laughs> and his player's like, what? Because he texts him like an emojicon. What are they called? Emoticons or emojicons? I think it's emoticon. Emoticon. Okay. So he texts him an emoticon and it doesn't represent anything. He just thinks it does. So then the next commercial he's watching with his kids and he says, hey, great shot. Way to go to the hoop. You know, I'm cheering for you. Keep going. And his kids are like, basketball, basketball, clap, clap, you know, 100, 100. Yay. <laughs> and he's like, what do you say back? He goes, thanks, coach, you know, or whatever. They're all just communicating in this weird language. That's what we need is a 14 year old to translate this whole show. Maybe transcribe the show into all emoticons. Angry face, angry face, lightning bolt. That's the whole show. There you've got the Stacky Benjamin show right there. You never need to listen again. That's all we do here. But please listen again. But soft skills. Please clap. It says we know how to teach soft skills. Soft skills come from experience, not abstract learning. You have to be engaged with other people. It's called empathy, right? You have to have communication with other people so you can decide what's appropriate to say and not say. That's why when I see kids buried with their faces in their iPads and not talking to anybody, this is what they're talking about right here. It's so interesting when you look at all of these platforms we have, right? These social, quote, social platforms we have to talk to each other, and we've forgotten how to talk to each other. Not good. We'll link to that on our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Second article today comes to us from napa-net.org, the National Association of Plan Advisors, people that handle things like 401ks. This headline, health savings accounts surged. Last year in 2015, assets and health savings accounts, HSAs, totaled more than $30 billion in assets at year-end 2015. Ready for this? It's a year-over-year increase of 25% for HSA assets, and HSA investment assets increased even more. HSA investment assets reached an estimated $4.2 billion in December, up 33% year-over-year. That's amazing. Well, HSAs are the wave of the future, right? Everybody's going to these high deductible plans and putting more of the cost of standard care onto the individual. And assuming you're healthy, OG, it's a great way to go. Well, you know, healthy, unhealthy is immaterial because more and more companies are going to these plans exclusively, you know, just to help mitigate the rising cost of healthcare. They say that with retirement security of growing concern and paying healthcare expenses and retirement is, of course, a large part of that concern. HSAs offer account owners a number of advantages, including contributions, reduce taxable income because your money mm-hmm. goes in pre-tax. Yep. Earnings on the account build up tax-free. Distributions for qualified expenses from the account are not subject to taxation. So, According to recent Fidelity study, a couple age 65 today needs a quarter million dollars set aside just for healthcare costs. So when you look at your investment portfolio or you look at your retirement accounts, take 250,000 of that and say, this is my healthcare account. And then the rest you can live on. I think that's really shocking to people. HSAs are a popular option that you can consider, especially if you start early, whereby you might be able to accumulate 
some of that, or if not all of that, quote unquote, need for retirement. Big sums of money. A lot of tax-free money there, OG. Good stuff. And we'll link to that also in the show notes. So our lessons, number one, be nice to your neighbors, OG. Be nice to people. Practice what mom preaches. Empathy. Empathy goes everywhere. Learn to deal with people around you. Far more, well, not far more important, but equally as important as the technical aspects that we talk about on this show. Learn to deal with other people and you'll get further ahead in the office. And those 44% of people that don't want to hire people will want to hire you. So that's, you want to get a leg up in the workforce, learn communication skills. And then number two, HSA, it's not just for lunch anymore. Yeah, that probably didn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to me, but rarely do things make sense to me. That Just trying to put wrong. a slogan on these, you know? All the popular shows have slogans these days. I got you. So, yeah, this segment brought to you by, right? Hey, guess what? Joshua, what? Joshua Sheets, Radical like, Personal Finance. We've been talking to Joshua about coming on this show forever. And finally, Joshua is... Finally, uh, he was bored enough. <laughs> ran out of everything else to do. Of course, the show Radical Personal Finance, Joshua and I joke that we are the yin and yang of the personal finance shows, where our show is a magazine style, lots and lots of different topic show. Joshua dives deep into one topic well, on most of his shows. He has more letters behind his name, OG. Ready? MSFS, CFP, CLU, CHFC, CASL, CAP, RHU, REBC. What the heck is an REBC? Nope. Don't know. BMOC? <laughs> That's the one I have. <laughs> He's a financial planner and the world's leading authority. The world's leading authority. The world's leading authority. Integrating lifestyle goals without conflict. Love talking to Joshua. And of course, he always has a strong opinion. Let's talk to him about his opinion on becoming Dave Ramsey. How about that? Cool. Let's do it. Joshua Sheets coming down to the basement. Joshua Sheets. Coming down the stairs. Have a seat, man. How you doing? Dude, I'm doing awesome. Did you guys get new wallpaper in here? It looks a little bit updated since the last time we were down here. We did not. What's funny is, is that mom thinks hanging laundry now can make, <laughs> can make it look even better. That's so great. We've needed to have you on forever. And it's funny because I was just thinking, I don't think you've been down here before, but I don't think you've been on the show before. That's right. I snuck down just to check out how things go because I just was so intrigued by the concept. But you didn't allow me on the mic. You didn't allow me to actually make my face known. We're like, so it's, <laughs> it's quite an honor that you finally turned the microphones on for me. Which is funny because offline, I feel like you and I talk all the time. <laughs> Which Shh, Don't tell the audience. No, no. That's... I'm the secret villain in your back pocket that you won't bring out in public. <laughs> well, let's bring you out a little bit in public because, as people know by my clickbaity title here, that we're going to talk a little bit about the man himself, about Dave Ramsey. But just to be clear, there's a lot that Dave Ramsey does right. And Dave Ramsey was responsible for you getting in touch more with your money, right? When I was in college, my brother gave me a copy of My Total Money Makeover. And up to that point, I had been like the Mr. Hotshot businessman. And I was borrowing money and was thoroughly convinced of the use of other people's money. But he gave me My Total Money Makeover. I read it once and I thought, this guy's nuts. Then I decided to read it again. And I was like, well, wait a minute. what was crazy. Yeah, then the what... third time through, he captured me with that one statement in the book. He said, if you had no payments, how much money would you have? And I said, hmm. 
If I had no payments, how much money would I have? So I got crazy. I got gazelle intense, like he talks about in his language. And I worked like a crazy man. I took 19 hours of class my senior year. I worked 40 plus hours a week at work. I paid off my credit cards. I cash flowed my senior year of college. I paid off all my student loans two weeks before I graduated from college and graduated from college debt-free because of Dave Ramsey's influence. When you first, though, thought he was nuts, what was it about him that you thought was crazy? I had up till that point been doing a lot of time studying real estate. And the whole mantra that I had swallowed was other people's money, zero down, other people's money, zero down. And he was so dead set against it. Uh, And he was talking about other people's money is not the way to go. And so I realized that I was taking the wrong approach. But that was what really turned me off in the beginning. Ah, But what's funny is, is that to some degree, you use those concepts still, but in a little bit different way. Like I think about you selling your house. There still is a little bit of that Dave Ramsey thing going there, isn't there? There is. And Dave's an awesome guy. I haven't had a chance to meet him yet, but I have a world of respect for him. He has helped, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people, perhaps even millions. Uh, And he's made a huge impact on the financial industry. And still, even to this day, he's made a big impact on my life. I don't borrow money on consumer debt. I don't finance cars or any of that stuff. But I've come past a little bit the basic level of his teaching. And I've come back past that to see things with a little bit more texture, a little bit more variability depending on the actual situation. Well, and that's what I want to talk about today, Joshua, is just the fact that listening to Dave Ramsey is great as a 101, but I think people kind of lose something, which is you're never going to become Dave Ramsey listening to Dave Ramsey. No chance. It's not possible. And that's where I think the biggest differentiation needs to be made. If you are earning a median income, $52,000 in the United States of America, living an average middle-class lifestyle, you don't need anything more than Dave Ramsey's plan. It's going to work for you. You're going to get out of debt. That's going to reduce a lot of stress in your life. You're going to invest a little bit of money. That's going to help you have some savings down the road. And you're going to live a pretty peaceful life. But you're never really going to become truly wealthy following Dave Ramsey's plan. And you're never going to be as wealthy as Dave Ramsey himself. And so what I like to tell people is learn from everybody. But if you want to be really wealthy, you've got to do what Dave Ramsey does, not what he says. And what he did was what? Specifically, he invested in a business that had a massive ability to grow in an exponential manner without connection to the constraining factors of brick and mortar and things like that. And this is the key. Listen, there's nothing wrong with paying off your credit cards. Nobody in their right mind will ever suggest going into debt for consumption spending. Borrowing money on credit cards to buy a new TV or borrowing money on a car, that doesn't make you any money. But in business, you need to apply leverage to create massive growth. Now, some businesses apply that leverage in the form of financial leverage. So for example, if you're going to come in and you're going to be a real estate developer and you're going to buy a couple hundred acres and you're going to develop a massive development with hundreds and thousands of homes, you're going to need access to some hefty capital. And there's no 30-year-old man or woman out there who's going to have that much capital in their back pocket to be able to do that. Now, lots of people have made millions and millions of dollars developing real estate using other people's money, but they needed that money as leverage. Well, what Ramsey did was he chose a business structure that allowed him to leverage his talents and his efforts without financial leverage. And that happens because he's in a media company. So he's employing some ways, a form of synthetic leverage, using other people's ideas, bringing them together and teaching people. And he chose a business structure that allowed him to expand without ever borrowing money. 
And that's what you really need to do. You're never going to get rich saving 15% of your money putting into mutual funds. But if you can build a huge and extremely valuable media company, you can rent your office space along the way. You can save your money. You can invest it into marketing and you can grow and bootstrap the thing little by little. So the message of getting out of debt is not the constraining factor. It's a matter of looking and saying, what is he actually investing in? How is it actually multiplying? And what is the form of leverage that he's actually using? I think it throws into question, doesn't it, Joshua, the idea of diversification, because we hear over and over that diversification is a great thing. Yet for Dave, he had to have a single purpose, right? He had to kind of throw diversification to the side to get where he is. Do we have to do that ourselves if we're going to become Dave? I think absolutely. And diversification is useful when you get to a certain point after you've achieved success. And Again, world of respect for Dave, but let's be a little bit harsh for a moment. Look at the idea. Save 15% of your income into mutual funds. The reality is I was a financial planner, practicing financial planner before starting Radical Personal Finance for six years. I met face-to-face with probably about 1,000 people by my best guess. In those six years, not a single time did I meet anybody who was rich, who got rich because of saving money into mutual funds. The people that I met who were rich were already rich because either A, they had a high income or B, they had a big business. So if you have a high income or a big business, you can save a lot of money in mutual funds and you might have a million or $2 million account or even more, but that's because of the fact that you have a high income or a big business. So what we got to do in proper financial planning is flip it on its head and we got to teach people how to first become rich and then we'll protect their wealth. The way that you become rich is either by building a massive income or by building a massive business. Those are the only two options. And in order to create those, let's stick with the simple one, an income first. To build a massive income, you've got to have a single-minded focus and specialization. So all during the time, let's say you're going and you're getting a degree, a professional degree or professional certifications, and your goal is to make a million dollars a year as an anesthesiologist. For 10 years, you're going to spend your time single-mindedly focusing on building the medical degree. You have no diversification. Something happens to your brain, you're done. So you have no diversification during that period of time. But once you get out of school, once you get your practice started, once you start building and earning a million dollars a year, now you want to start diversifying. Same thing with business. Most businesses, most entrepreneurial endeavors wind up being either started on bootstrap or they're a single-minded focus of the person who's building them. And you got to pour heart and soul into it and you don't have a backup plan on the back end. Now, once that business is profitable, as I used to coach business clients, once the business is profitable, let's start taking some profits off the table and putting them from the left pocket into the right pocket in case something goes wrong. So we do need diversification, but nobody who's rich starts off investing in a diversified portfolio. It doesn't happen. That's funny. People that are rich diversify into the types of things Dave says so that they can protect the things that they don't have time to worry about, right? And they can keep that single-minded focus. What does this say then also, Joshua, about risk? Because I think that where so many people are afraid of risk, what you're saying is exactly the opposite. Risk is just going to come with the territory. Risk is a factor of life. It is not possible to escape risk. It's only possible to choose among the different risks that you're presented with. So let's take a very simple example of risk of business. Many people view having a job as the safest course that they can set out to earn their income. If I have a job, I have a stable job, and I'm going to be able to have a source of income for my family. Well, that might be true, but the problem is if you lose your job, you lose all of your family's income for many people. For me as an entrepreneur, I look at having a job as one of the most risky things that I can do because if I lose my job, I lose all my income. Whereas me as an entrepreneur, if I lose one source of income or if I lose a client, it's not that big of a deal. The other big factor of risk in that situation is as an entrepreneur, I usually know in advance 
if my business is going to start to fail. So if I'm looking a couple months out and I see the cash flow is starting to dry up, I've got time to do things. Hey, in the employee world, I've been laid off from a job before. You walk into the office, they give you the news, and you walk out with a box of stuff. So it's not a matter of risky versus non-risky. Life is risky. It's just a matter of choosing the risks with which you're most comfortable. It's funny. Have you read... um Oh my goodness, I'm not going to get the guy's name. That's funny. It's the real estate guy, Robert Kiyosaki. No, the other one. <laughs> Allen. Yes, Robert yes. Allen, where he talks about the two doors. He talks about one door says entrepreneurship, the other door says security. And if you reach for the security door, working for the man, you get neither, right? You don't get security, you don't get entrepreneurship, you don't get freedom. It's all gone. Right. But- and let me just emphasize they both can work. They just have different risk profiles. Right. Every single investment option that you choose has a different risk profile. So I used to manage investment accounts, just like you did, Joe. And one of the things that I always taught clients is, listen, you have a couple different risks. And in very simplified account management, you have the risk of the market risk of the value of your account fluctuating up and down, or you have the risk of loss of purchasing power. You're just going to have to choose which one are you most comfortable with. So if you can't deal with market risk, we've got to move you over into this very conservative, very safe portfolio. And that's going to be much more consistent for you. But you're also systematically going to lose purchasing power. But if you don't want to lose purchasing power, you're going to have to take some kind of market risk into your portfolio. It's exciting because the way you're talking, it also brings this idea of insurance into a different light. Like we really do need insurance, but now you're looking at the risks in your specific life, which means insurance needs are going to be a lot different depending on who you are. Absolutely. So I have a five-part model that I teach on radical personal finance. And these are the only five things that I've found that can explain every single piece of financial advice fits into these five things. And they're the only five things you can do with money. Number one is increase income. Number two, decrease expenses. Number three, invest wisely. Number four, avoid catastrophe. And number five, optimize lifestyle. I've tested every financial planner and every interested personal finance person that I know. And I've said, give me a piece of financial advice. And so far, I've been able to fit every single one of them into those 10 words, five points. But point number four is avoid catastrophe. At every stage along the way in wealth building, we must be focused on avoiding catastrophe. But that means different things at different times. So in the beginning, the biggest risk that we face is the loss of income. So I have sold in my career when I was selling insurance, I sold a ton of disability income insurance. It's the number one missing need that I've seen in people's insurance plans. If you're an employee, you're working a job, your income is what funds your whole financial plan. You shouldn't buy life insurance. You shouldn't buy health insurance. You shouldn't worry about diversifying your portfolio until you've bought disability insurance. And I mean it emphatically. That is the number one thing. Now, down the road, once you've built up some assets, the risk of losing your income is not such a massive factor as compared to the risk of having your portfolio destroyed in a market downturn. So now we got to spend a lot of time on avoiding catastrophe in our investment portfolio. So you've got to look at the stage of life that you're in. You got to look at the scale of wealth and you got to look at the specific risks that you face as an individual. If I'm somebody new right now out of college, right? And I'm listening to this show. What's the best advice you give that person? Build your income or build a business. I've never seen a rich person who got rich who didn't have a very high income or build a very big business. And the cool thing about it is when you invest in your income or in your business, that is the most controllable investment that you have. And I'll tell you this, Joe. So I started investing when I was 18 years old by investing into an IRA. I thought I was very diligent. I opened a Roth IRA on my 18th birthday. I also opened my first credit card account on my 18th birthday. And I'll let you decide <laughs> which was a good, a good idea. But I sat at the kitchen table in my parents' house on my 18th birthday and I opened both of these things. Now, here I am. 
30 years old, 12 years later. And you know what kind of an impact the money in my Roth IRA makes on my life? Nothing. And one of my biggest regret is I wasted so much money putting the money in there, thinking that somehow investing in mutual funds was going to make me rich. But you know what kind of lifestyle I'm able to live now because of the income that I built and because of the entrepreneurial activities that I focused on? It's awesome. I don't have any need to focus on retirement because I'm living the lifestyle that I want to live now at 30 and it has nothing to do with my money in my Roth IRA. And so what's happened is that you and I, who've come from the financial planning industry, we've sold people a bill of goods, which is basically the idea that all these financial assets that we cover are going to somehow improve their life. It doesn't work. You've got to build it yourself with your income and your business. You've got to build the lifestyle now. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever participate in a Roth IRA. doesn't mean you shouldn't buy mutual funds. But those things are not going to make you rich and they're not going to allow you to live an independent lifestyle. Those are just ways of diversifying down the road after a long period of time. And hey, if you've got a couple million bucks at 65, cool. But the reality is you can get there far quicker and with a far higher degree of success by focusing on your income, your business, and your current lifestyle. The show is called Radical Personal Finance. I wish you felt strongly about stuff, Joshua. <laughs> I'm obviously not the least opinionated about anything. Huh? <laughs> That's why I was so excited about you coming down to the basement. I'm like, wow, I might get to say three words. No, I'm kidding. So tell us what's going on over at Radical Personal Finance. What's coming up? Big thing, man, right now, I'm in the process of just revisiting. So when I started the show, I built it a year and a half ago, and I set it out to do it in a kind of a five-day-a-week talk show format. And I thought I could give everything away on the show for free. I thought if I just put tons and tons of episodes out there, that would be great. And the show's grown really, really well. I've got a loyal following, and it's very gratifying. I've been able to help a lot of people, and that's been really, really great. But as far as the business side, what's happened is I've spent so much time focusing on doing the podcast that I haven't been able to get the back-end business working very well. It's working okay, but it's not working very well. So I'm in the process of kind of just rethinking the whole thing and adjusting. I'm going to pull back on the number of episodes that I release. I'm going to cut down the frequency of the show a little bit. I'm going to work on really building some thoughtful, well-thought-out courses and products and projects that can help people. And I've been trying for months to get these things built and I haven't been able to get to do it. So it's been a tough few weeks. It's just the normal entrepreneur cycles. I mean, no need to cry for me. I'm doing fine. But <laughs> but it has been challenging because I've had to go back and say, what am I really building? And I'm adjusting a few things with the show platform. And I've learned a lot. This world of new media that you and I are working in is awesome. But it's also very challenging because we're in a new frontier. Yeah, it's changing quickly, isn't it? It is. And I just look at the competitive landscape. And you were an early front runner, which is great. I was somewhat of a front runner. But when I look around now and I look at all the new stuff that's coming online, all the new competitors, and there's room for all of us. I'm not worried about competition. Right. But I do look and I just see, okay, what is my unique offering? What can I uniquely do? And that's where I've had to just refocus and say, what's my unique selling proposition? What's the difference that I want to make in the market? You're doing exactly what you tell your audience to do. I am. <laughs> you know, so I'm a big proponent of this thing called zero-based thinking. I learned years ago the concept of zero-based thinking. And it, dude, it gave me one of the most valuable tools I've ever found. And basically the deal is this. If you sit down and ask yourself a question about any situation in your life, let's say it's your job. For me, it's my business. And I sit down and say, Joshua, knowing what you now know, if you were going to do it all over again, would you do anything differently? So I ask myself that question continually about every area of my life, knowing what I now know about this job, knowing what I now know about this business venture, knowing what I now know about where I live, what house I bought. You know, I sold my house recently and I only lived there two and a half years. But when I bought the house, I was thoroughly convinced that it was a great move for me. But a couple of years later, I had to sit down and look and admit to myself, hey, 
knowing what I now know, if I were going to do this over again, I wouldn't buy this house. I wouldn't have bought it under the terms that I bought it under. And so the question is, how quickly can I get free? So I've been doing that to my business and just saying, Joshua, knowing what you now know, if you were going to start radical personal finance all over again, would you do anything different? And frankly, I would. And so now it's time to get busy on changing the things that I would change because I've got the ability, you know, today's a brand new day. We're not stuck in the past. We got to keep growing and keep changing. That's funny because you like zero-based thinking and mom says that we like zero thinking. So we're, we're, very, <laughs> we're very close to each other, man. <laughs> thanks for hanging out, dude. Dude, thanks for having me down here. It's been awesome. Hi, everyone. It's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And here's a Dave Ramsey question. Most everyone knows about Dave's amazing return from bankruptcy and the lessons he learned from the experience. What most people don't know is how much money he owed in short-term notes that forced him to go bankrupt. There's your question. How much money was Dave Ramsey forced to repay quickly? We'll have the answer shortly. I'm so thankful we have two great sponsors for the Stacking Benjamins podcast. Our first one is Magnify Money. They've been a longtime sponsor of our show, as many of you know. And if you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, like many of you have, you'll know why. And what I love about them is that Nick Clements, the CEO at Magnify Money, tells people that you can use the surfing strategy. You surf down to a 0% interest rate. And then when your interest rate starts to come back up, you surf to a different card. Nick Clements says that's a great strategy, but it also has some pitfalls. Uh, it's it's painful if you stay around when the promotional period is over, but it has, it's actually really, really easy to move the debt when you're done. So it's more laziness that gets people stuck in the balance transfer than, than anything else. Banks are betting on laziness. <laughs> That's a tagline right there. So whether you're comparing your checking account, savings account, or your credit cards, head to stackingbenjamins.com and surf safely. Don't be lazy. And here's the transition. How about this? First time I heard about SoFi, our other sponsor, was from Nick. Nick, who you just heard from magnifymoney.com. And the reason was he said the SoFi was awesome. So I looked into him and guess what? Not only were they awesome, they decided to become our sponsor. I asked Dan Macklin how hard the process is when it comes to getting a loan from SoFi. It's really easy. You go to SoFi.com and apply. It takes about 10 minutes. We ask for a few pieces of information and then we will approve you or not approve you uh, instantly in the vast majority of cases. So within 10 minutes, you'll know if you have a rate, uh, what that rate is, and we'll show you calculations as to how much money you can save. So it's extremely quick and simple. Easy process, great people, and Nick at Magnify Money loves them. How great's that? Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash SoFi, S-O-F-I, and that'll tell Dan and the team over there at SoFi that we sent you. And if the sponsor ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Hey everyone, Joe's mom's neighbor Doug back with the answer to this week's trivia question. How much money was Dave Ramsey forced to repay quickly that sent him into bankruptcy? The answer, well, the bank Ramsey dealt with was sold to another firm which took a harder line on his borrowing, forcing him to quickly pay $1.2 million in short-term notes. Instead, 
Ramsey declared bankruptcy and then began attending as many financial classes as possible. His personal lessons, of course, created his Financial Peace University. Speaking of peace, Joe's mom just brought home some apple pie and it's time to go get it before OG hogs it all. It's so OG. See ya! I love me some apple pie. Actually, I love peach pie. Peach pie is probably my favorite. And I really like pecan pie. Pecan or pecan? Pecan, pecan, pecan. Pecan. Man, that word is just all over the map. You almost got it right, man. You said a million dollars, Dave. Yes. Well, I also said four million, but I misunderstood the question. Yeah, that's the amount his real estate empire was worth at the time. So great stuff. Thanks, Doug, for the... Why did I just say thank you to Doug? Yeah, thank you to you for answering the question well. We can never say thank you to Doug because he takes that stuff like he's just the star of the show. Hey, it's time for the Courtesy Hotline. You don't have time to sit with a cheesy insurance salesman, but you do have time to quickly get 17 of the top companies' quotes on life insurance and disability by heading to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Quotacy, Q-U-O-T-A-C-Y. Just a couple keystrokes, and you'll not only know how much insurance you need, but you'll also be able to buy it from a reputable firm. And first up on the first up, only up on today's Quotacy Hotline, let's say hello to Blake. Hey, Joe Noji. I'm 24-year-old, and I've got an asset allocation question. So I have 100% in stocks and 70% in extended market, which is total market minus S&P 500. I want to change my asset allocation to 100% V, just total market. I don't want to bother with sectors or anything. And VXF, I'm not comfortable holding that as 70% anymore. But it's down like 15%. So I'm wondering if I should sell at a loss now. Because I just recently started getting into indexing last year. And if I sell at a loss now and buy back into like VTI or something, I figure it might be good for tax loss harvesting. But... I don't know if I should take the loss or should I invest in like an S&P 500 fund from now on and just keep all the VXF and then over time I'll build up my total market. What do you guys think? Oh, this is a taxable account, by the way. Thanks. Great point there by Blake and the end of that question, OG, taxable versus tax deferred accounts. That tax treatment's important. All right. So let me make sure I've got the data right. So he said he's 70% S&P and 30% extended. And his question was, should I just dump that all into one particular thing or should I wait to sell it? Because it was one position's down a little bit. I don't want to monkey with it, that sort of thing. I think that you can be 100% equity. So you can be fully invested in the market, but use a diversification strategy on top of it and have some large companies have some smaller companies, have some international companies, and find an allocation, find a balance between those that makes you comfortable from its return potential, but also makes you comfortable from its volatility potential. And if you're a long-term investor, like it kind of sounds like you are, and you want to kind of set it and forget it, I don't know that I would winnow down my entire portfolio to one singular idea. And if that one idea is something like the S&P, that's just all large U.S. companies. I would want to have some smaller companies and some international companies. and uh, Especially, did he say he's 24 years old? He said he's a young guy. Yeah. 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 So I'm answering the question that he didn't ask, which is, should I you know, kind of put it all in one? I would still remain diversified. Now, as it relates to an individual position that's gone down quite a bit, this kind of reminds me of that Warren Buffett quote about greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. If you went to the... This is a Don Connolly story. Remember Don Connolly? 
Yes. Yes. Holy Don Connolly story, right? So if you went to the grocery store and you were intending to buy tuna fish because you're making tuna fish casserole and you brought a dollar with you because they're a dollar a can. So you need to buy one can of tuna fish and you got there and all of a sudden they were 25 cents a can. You wouldn't storm out of the grocery store <laughs> buying this tuna fish. Are you kidding me? It's, it's gone down in price. I thought it was a dollar. If you thought that that idea that you had before, however long ago, was a good idea and now it's on sale, it's gone down by 15% to your, you know, what you said, that should only make the price that much more attractive. One of the things that you might consider is now the time to add more to that position. Like, could you rebalance? And that's the purpose of diversification is so you'll have some areas that might do well, some areas that might not do as well, grow as quickly. And now you can rebalance those things and buy things at a little bit lower price to kind of lower your average cost to that. So I'm answering it in a completely different way. If you bought something in the last year or two and it's down 15%, unless something really profoundly has changed in that one particular investment strategy, which this hasn't, I might consider it looking at it the other way, which is, right. you know, do I back the truck up and get it 15% off of what I originally... I thought it was a great price at 100 and now it's at 50 I or now it's at 75 You know, should I back the truck up and buy more? Well, a lot of times, and it's not just Blake, but a lot of times, OG, people look at the money that they've made or lost as if it's material to what's the decision I need to make for tomorrow, right? And really the only way it's material is when you're looking at the tax consequences, but you make the decision first about where you should be and where you shouldn't be. And then you look at the tax ramifications before you pull the trigger. So you know, maybe what the best strategy would be there. So and if you're talking about, I didn't talk at all about taxes, but this is another way to adjust your basis, right? If you bought $100 worth of a stock at $10 a share and now it's at $5 a share and you buy another 100 your average cost just got cut in half. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now you're at $7.5 a share on your cost as opposed to 10 So, well, And also the way I look at this when he talks about should I sell now, should I wait? There's another concept here, which I think is the speed of a dollar going forward is what it's done in the past does not equal what it's going to do in the future. So if you think a different position is going to move the dollar quicker, why would I wait for it to come up more slowly, right? The dollars to come up more slowly in the current position. If I think the other way is going to move the dollar more quickly toward my goal. Now we need to look at risk like standard deviation. Yeah, it gets a little bit into some kind of like market timing for me. And that's really not my. Yeah, but I'm not talking about market timing. I'm talking about the fact that I had a client as an example that didn't want to sell his Ford stock until the Ford stock rebounded to the price he bought it at. And my whole position with my client was who cares about waiting for the stock to go up to that point before I sell it. If the new position is better and we think that this approach is going to be a better approach for that dollar, a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, whether it's yeah. invested in Ford or it's invested in the S&P 500, it's invested in emerging right. markets. That's yeah. my point. It's not about market timing. It's about looking to the asset allocation that you should have yeah. today, just based on the facts of today. Yeah. What your money did, whether it made money or lost money, besides the tax ramification, I think is irrelevant. It's where should I be today and get in that now. Great book that I love, uh, Trading Rules, talks about that, is that people too often think they have some type of idea about where the market's going to go. And if we don't, we should just buy it, right? If we think something's a good idea, we should do it. If it's not a good idea, then we shouldn't do it. And by the way, if we think it's a good idea short term, we also probably shouldn't do it. Because our brain is so small, we can't possibly predict where the market's going to go. The author of that book, and I don't remember his name, talks about we're not fearful enough 
about the market and about how little our brain is versus the collective that's out there. So good stuff by Blake. Thanks for the question. If you want to go to the head of the class, that line is open. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail to go to the head of the courtesy hotline class. Otherwise, you can put your money in the put your money. You can't put your money in the mailbag, OG. <laughs> Can't believe I almost said that. Would like that, right? Yeah, put your money in the mailbag. You know, a little bribe will get you everywhere. Maybe then we'll read your letter more quickly. We read one letter. Marisol sent me two in a row last week. The second one Marisol had was also interesting. It was about the Big Short. Marisol says, "Just watch the film Big Short. Really enjoyed it. Could probably watch it again." Did you finally see it? Did we talk about this, OG? Have not seen it. Read the book a long time ago. Just haven't got to it. Marisol says, would like to propose we have a show dedicated to explaining the film, not just during the after show, but a whole show. After during watching, the what? I don't know. What is this thing that, that Marisol's talking about? I'm not even going to repeat that. I can't believe I did that. After watching this movie, I'm so skeptical and even more confused with banks, brokers, and investments. Who can you trust? The government's a demon and banks are Satan, I tell you. The film was loaded with over-the-top information for common people. Nevertheless, got me thinking and wondering, have you seen this movie? And then Marisol says that Marisol likes our section on movie reviews. In fact, I've decided to watch many movies thanks to your reviews and have avoided others for the same reason. That's all for now. Hello from a Puerto Rican that listens to you in Albania. Thanks, Marisol. So let's talk about the big short. We're not going to devote. Marisol, I understood what you're saying, but so many people haven't seen the movie. I don't want to dedicate a whole show to that. We can talk about it here. And certainly I love talking offline to people about it, but a whole show on something that only one little segment of the audience has seen doesn't really fit our format. So actually it's funny. Probably fits Joshua Sheets format much better than ours where he'll tackle deeply those issues. But the big short OG, I think the big concept here is with the big short is just because everybody thinks that something's going to be okay. Right. We heard it in 2000 with technology stocks. We're in the quote new economy, right? Mm-hmm. the fundamentals don't matter anymore. And then with real estate, home prices don't go down, right? They're not making new land. So housing prices are going to consistently go up. More and more people bought this stuff, which led to a huge bubble. Not tiny bubbles, huge bubbles. <laughs> yeah, let's be clear. Yeah, not the kind that OG makes in the bathtub. <laughs> not, not, nice. not I walked those. into that one, didn't I? Yeah, you certainly did. But I think it's also dangerous. It's also dangerous, OG, to try to be the person. And Paula talked about this on one of our roundtables. It's dangerous trying to be the person that thinks you see something different than what everybody else sees, right? Because we have this, what do they call it? Survivorship bias, where we think that we're seeing something different in the market that everybody else is seeing. And when you start doing that, man, you better have some great data. Because even in the movie, Christian Bale's character, he lost a ton of his investors because even though he called it, it happened later than he thought. And he bet the house on it. He bet everything on it yeah, and lost all his employees except one, maybe two. I mean, lost a lot. You better be right. And well, esoteric type investments do, right? I mean, we've seen that now in some of these big fund managers, these big money managers making just singular bets. And either they will be right and they'll make a ton of money or they'll be wrong and everything will yeah. go and, the other way. And you know what Marisol says about banks and in the movie, for people that haven't seen the movie, the banks kind of change the rules on these CDOs, these collateralized debt obligations, and they prop the price up even though there was nothing underneath it because they had the ability to do it, right? Right. Because they had the ability to do it, they just la, 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 made up some numbers 
to try to hope that they could hold out, even though they knew they were wrong. They were sweating because they knew they were so wrong and they propped it up, propped it up, which made the fall even bigger. But I think the lesson we've had on Stacking Benjamins for a long time is you need to be your own best friend. You can't rely on a bank to be your best friend. You can't rely on a brokerage house to be your best friend. And don't get me wrong. It's good to have advisors, but you have advisors to teach you and to help you become a more knowledgeable investor to help you get there more quickly. Just like we use a computer, right? I mean, I can go back and look things up in books, but man, with the power of the Googler, I could get there a lot quicker. I have a thing called the subprime primer that maybe I can get to you and you can publish. It's definitely R-rated, but it's a cartoon. It's really funny. (laughs) Have you seen it? I've not seen it. No. Well, in the movie on that note, OG, they go into an adult entertainment spot and the woman who's entertaining Steve Carroll's character is talking. Steve Carell. Steve Carell, Steve Carroll, Steve Bublibla, entertaining that guy. You know, she owns all these houses that she's purchased and she isn't even declaring her income, right? She's getting income, but she's not showing it on tax returns. And she owns many, many rental properties because she's trying to diversify her incomes. And of course, she has adjustable rate mortgages on all of them. (laughs) Right. That's a little bit of a bubble. The Big Short was a great movie. OG, you got to see that movie. You would love that movie. Oh, I sure I would. I just, you know, my free time. Yeah, good stuff. Our next letter Comes to us from Ryan. Ryan says, after discovering your podcast this fall, I've become a big fan and just recently made the journey to your site. Thanks, Ryan. He says he's not completely dug through the archives, so we might have covered this one, but his questions around exchange traded funds. The variety of ETFs is rivaling Super Bowl prop bets, which may actually be a better investment. <laughs> what are Super Bowl prop bets? Like who's going to sing the national anthem, that kind of thing? Not who. Like, is it going to be longer than a minute, 35 seconds oh, or shorter? Oh, my goodness. Considering the recent dip in the market, are ETFs a wise approach for those of us who want to be aggressive? Should we be targeting industries such as natural gas, which has been pretty beaten down? Ticker symbol FCG he's looking at. Thanks, Ryan. I'm going to skip talking about individual products and ticker symbols, but you can accomplish an aggressive investment strategy with all sorts of different products. So the product itself doesn't much matter. It's rather the volatility that goes into each one and how they all work together. So, you know, we're big advocates for asset allocation, big advocates for diversification, where you have a portfolio that has a lot of different things in it so that when something goes sideways or, you know, we like to say when things don't grow as quickly as the other things, but you might have some portions of the portfolio that don't do as well as you'd hoped, you now have the opportunity to rebalance. And the idea behind that, of course, Rebalancing doesn't make it so you'll never lose money, but it broadens your risk perspective, so to speak. Before looking at an ETF versus a mutual fund, Ryan, I think that an ETF with its lower fees, you know, if you've got an aggressive mutual fund that's equally as aggressive as an ETF and the ETF has a lower fee, then it's a better way to go. And statistically, you know, if you want to be aggressive, active management is really, I mean, at its heart, could be more aggressive because you actually have a person picking, right? So depending on, I guess, your definition of aggressive, certainly when you're looking at a certain industry, like you mentioned natural gas, looking at one industry is going to be way more aggressive. A sector bet, OG, is always going to be more aggressive than looking at a broad market. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, by aggressive, I also mean downside, right? I mean, we were talking on Monday's episode about the junk bond crisis that may be coming. And if we see a certain industry that is characterized by having a lot of debt, 
like, you know, Marisol's question about the housing industry, OG, you know, if all of your money is in just housing, you take it on the chin when that downside happens. Yeah. I think you have to recognize that volatility swings both ways. Everybody loves 30% returns, but to get 30% returns, you also have to be okay with minus 30% returns. Right. And nobody likes those as much. So, you know, aggressive means different things to different people. You need to find a collection of investment ideas or investment strategies that together work well within the confines of what makes you comfortable, but more importantly, within the confines of what helps reach the goal that you're trying to achieve. You know, if this is retirement and you need X percent a year to make that happen between now and then, then you just put together a group of tools that make that happen. In the area of small caps, managers historically have had a better chance of beating their benchmark than in large caps where managers, we talked about this a lot in the past, managers are more likely to index most of their fund anyway, an active manager. So if you look at a smaller company manager, maybe it's a better idea to let them pick whether it's natural gas or whether it's housing or whether it's, you know, what the bet is. I generally think that those people have more expertise in that area than I do because that's what they do all day versus me saying, you know what? I think that the price of gas and, you know, you and I have told the story before I was in last year. I didn't do it this year, but last year I was in that grow your dough throwdown and January of last year, you know what I did? I did what Ryan's talking about and I loaded up on oil because how low can oil go, man? And obviously we got more data midway through last year. By last May, I knew I was wrong. By last May, I'm like, you know what? That was wrong. And if I had bet the house. Well, but I'm interested. Just continue this conversation for just a second. So do you still own the position? I do. Absolutely. Did you double down on it I at any not. point in time? I did not. What I did was I realized the error of my ways and I didn't have much because we were investing, we were each investing 500 bucks. And so, and that was diversified 10 ways, which was silly into a bunch of individual things. But what I did instead was for me, I like the idea of energy, but it was other types of energy that I was more excited about. So instead of doubling down there, you know, our discussion earlier about a dollar's a dollar's a dollar. I said, you know, I think I'll get better velocity elsewhere. And frankly, what I should have done was to exit that position and move my money to the energy portion that I thought was a better move. So actually, shame on me for not selling it. Yeah, but the reality is, is that you're in a one year and we talked about this too. Right. When you're in a one year bet, you got to swing for the fences. It's like the home run derby. Well, and you know what the other problem? You can't hit a whole bunch of singles and win the home run derby. No. And you know what the other problem there was? Was fees was I had so little money invested in that, my new investment was going to have to make up a $9 fee. (laughs) Which was like 20% of the position. Right. Like, what am I going to do there? So if I had invested a reasonable amount of money in that, a $9 fee wouldn't be a big deal. So thanks for the question. Great question. By the way, that question from Ryan came via the stacker. So if you want to get on our newsletter mailing list, head to stackingbenjamins.com. And Ryan was replying to something that we were talking about in the stacker. Next one comes from GJ. GJ wrote, my husband and I are in our early 40s. My husband makes too much money for us to contribute to a Roth IRA. We're able to max per IRS rules his 401k and both of our IRAs. I'm a stay-at-home mom without a 401k. Now I'm wondering if contributing to a non-deductible IRA even makes sense. Are we better off just investing that money into a regular investment account? Love the show. Thanks for your help. GJ. What you're talking about is a non-deductible IRA and then potentially converting it to a Roth IRA. There's ways to do this, but the one thing that you want to be aware of is that the IRS aggregates all of your IRA positions. So if 
the missus here, let's say, has IRAs of a plenty, and they've all been uh, all tax deferred IRAs, and then you want to do this non-deductible one, they're going to aggregate all of her IRAs when you do the conversion. So you won't get to be able to really take advantage of this the way that you think. On the other hand, if you do it in husband's name, and maybe he doesn't have any IRAs, this is an option that you could do. There's a lot of paperwork to it, and you got to dot all the I's and cross all the T's for sure. So this isn't really something you want to tackle on your own. I would talk to you know, a tax person about it. This doesn't make sense, by the way, if you do it one year. If you just go, well, I'm going to do it this year. It's got to be an ongoing strategy. I mean, it does because you go, well, I got $6,000 of tax-free money. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. But this really hits a home run when you do like 20 years of this. The other thing that you might want to consider is if you're looking for Roth IRA contributions, maybe your husband's 401k has Roth IRA or Roth 401k options, and you could contribute to that as well. You lose the tax deduction, of course, but you're able to contribute some money to the Roth portion if you chose up to that IRS max. A lot of people, especially if they've been putting money in a 401k for a long time, you know, you throw out all that paperwork that the HR sends you. They might have added Roth IRA provisions because a lot of companies have. Or yeah, Roth 401k I would say almost most have at this point. Yeah, and people don't even think that, you know what, I can even do it at work. So, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good question from GJ. You got a question for us. You're first up on the Quota C hotline. That's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail or give us a question through the mailbag. That's joe at stackingbenjamins.com. People are also nice enough to write us letters. People are also nice enough to leave us reviews on the show. Reviews, of course, help us find new listeners and help tell people what you like about the show. This review, OG, going on Mom's Fridge. Let's take a look. The next one in line comes to us from Female Software Engineer. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Female Software Engineer. Hi, I'm Joe, podcast host, male podcast host. That's what I'm going to call myself now, male podcast host. As if there was ever a question. <laughs> a great podcast to listen to if you're a newbie or a seasoned finance person. The new format's awesome. The best part is OG's reaction to so many situations. Sometimes people are looking at me weirdly in the train when I try to control my laugh when OG says something outrageous. You never say anything outrageous. I try not to. It's always straightforward, bad from you. Always looking forward to roundtable and other guests to see what new things you guys are going to talk about. See how easy that was? Female software engineer headed to the refrigerator. Mom is going to be very proud of us for that one. Thanks a ton. And you can help the show by leaving us a review also at iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. a wrap on our Wednesday, man. Big thanks to Joshua Sheets. Good friend Joshua here. It's been too long. We should have had Joshua on earlier. Well, probably like most of our guests, he won't ever come back. <laughs> He's done with us now, man. Put him through that ringer. Hey, this is the segment of the show where we talk about what we should have learned. And certainly, OG, I think Joshua's main point I really like, which is, you know, you start with your goal when you invest. You don't start with a guru, right? You start with a goal. What is my goal? If my goal is to be ultra rich, I'm going to invest one way. If my goal is to achieve stability, I'm going to invest a different way. 
And depending on that goal, that's going to determine everything, not just your investments, but, you know, we also talked about insurance, as you know, it's all planned based on what you want to do. Well, and this is what I think, you know, some people just don't, in some respects, don't pay enough attention to that everything matters. The, the sum of all of the parts matter in the financial plan. And when you're working on a retirement thing, we talk about this when we do workshops and things. People say, well, well, what's your investment plan look like? It's like, well, but the investment plan is just a really teeny tiny portion of someone's overall retirement plan or someone's overall college plan. Yeah, we can pick investments. That's fine. But yeah, you've got to have insurance. You've got to protect your income. You've got to protect your family. You've got to look at cash and debt and all of these other sorts of things. All of that matters. And that's interesting, too, because that also broadens most people's perspective on a financial advisor, because I knew people would sit down in my office, right? And they go, oh, let's talk about my investment portfolio. And I'm like, well, that's just one little piece of you, right? How much money do you earn? The guy's like, oh, I don't want to talk about my work. I don't talk about what I do. That's going to completely change the way you invest. Are you an astronaut or are you, you you know, are you CIA, you know, which is fine, too, (laughs) right? I mean. Yeah, it changes not because of the job changes, but because the risk inherent in that, right? Are you a Navy SEAL? Are you a fighter pilot? You know, like kind of what do you Race do? Race car driver? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, you may have heard of me. My name is Dale Earnhardt. Basement, Jr. basement dweller? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not calling anyway. Dale Earnhardt a basement dweller, by the way. Yeah. yeah Dale Earnhardt not. fans don't write to me. Joe at yes, Please don't. Yeah. Or write to him, actually. I don't really care. But yeah, so it's funny how everything we talk about always goes back to this. We can answer 100 questions the same way. What's your goal? How long do you have? How comfortable are you with ups and downs? What's you your know? cash flow look like? I mean, uh, then yeah, it goes how much money do you have in the bank yep. in case of emergencies or opportunities? And then you should build a plan this way. So yeah, it's like starting with a bedrock approach. It's almost like, you know, in the book, The E Myth OG, E Myth is a book you and I both love. You know, they talk about the woman who, what is she on, a bakery or a pie making business or something? Pie maker, yes. Yeah, she's a pie maker. And is it a she or a he? She. She wants to be very creative with her pies, but the first thing you have to do is know all the basics, right? The basics of, and the basic here is everything matters. Good stuff. All right. You're done for the week, man. I'm back here on Friday. On Friday, it's going to be exciting. We've got another new app. Listen to this one. Crowd Invest. We're going to talk to the founder of this app, the creator of this app. It's like Tinder. You see stocks and you flip it to the left if you like it, to the right if you don't. And then they take the wisdom of the crowds. And it's amazing. They actually beat the S&P 500 over the last 12 months. Just the wisdom of the crowd. So did cash. <laughs> That's true. We Sorry, are- <laughs> I don't want to rain on anybody's parade there. We also have, by the way, we also have Katie Brewer, CFP Katie Brewer joining us. Oh, cool. And our old friend Barb Freeberg back for the second week in a row, along with this guy, Greg McFarlane, crazy man Greg, back for another week. So we'll see everybody on Friday. We'll see you back here on Monday, OG. Yes, sir. This show is the property of the Free Financial Advisor, LLC, copyright 2016. The show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, co-written by Brent Selmans, edited by Isabella Bianca, and engineered by the one and only Steve Stewart. Joshua Sheets appears courtesy of Radical Personal Finance. You'll find the Radical Personal Finance podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you listen. After you listen to Stacking Benjamins, right? Special thanks to OG for agreeing to split the last piece of apple pie. That was rare. Now, could somebody please tell him not to hog the last fork? 
Join us on Friday when Barbara Friedberg returns and we welcome your richestlifeplanning.com CFP, Katie Brewer. And of course, who can forget Greg McFarlane? Hello, Greg. Also, Martin Mickus, creator of a new app that looks like the Tinder for stocks, CrowdInvest. We'll see you then. Swiping right. Tall and tan and young and lovely, when Joe walks down the basement, he passes OG and he says, Hey, Joe, why you gotta prance around like that? Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. I accidentally mentioned it. I can't believe I accidentally mentioned this. I broke my own rule. I know. There goes that. Thanks, Marisol. Marisol, it's your fault. You explained on our Valentine's Day episode that Marisol didn't like very much. You explained your idea. So explain that just briefly for everybody. I said send chocolate-covered strawberries to your spouse. You know, if you're a dude, send them to your wife, right? And also send it to your mother, care of all of your brothers and sisters. And those are good, but those weren't the kicker. Oh, care of your brothers and sisters. I didn't do that part. Yeah. You know, with everybody. Love all of us, right? Because I did this, but I did not do that part. Yeah, because then your brother Uh, calls you and goes, dude, mom just called. I took all the credit. Now I feel like a jerk because I took all the credit. Oh, yeah. See, now that backfires because then your brother calls you and goes, dude, what the heck, man? You kind of screwed me on this. It actually. Then, you, the, so the big kicker is you got to send it to your mother-in-law as well. See, that was the part that I took home from that argument. The funny thing was, was that. And you can take that a step further and address it from the grandkids. My mother-in-law was surprised that it came just from me. And she was very excited about the fact that it came okay. just for me. She's like, you're such a nice son-in-law. So even though I got it wrong, OG, it still yeah. worked. Yeah, it works. It still did work. Well, Jeff, longtime listener, Jeff wrote us a letter. Says, funny story. He explained OG's Valentine's Day scheme to a couple of guys at work. The one partner thought it was a brilliant idea and immediately placed the orders. Everyone received their chocolate-covered strawberries yesterday, which this was written to me on February 13th. So yesterday, while we're at a client, he receives a text from his wife. The mother-in-law called to express her gratitude for the delicious and thoughtful strawberries. That was his wife's first text. But then came the bomb. The wife then texts, so I guess she got the same thing for me as she got for my mother. Thanks. (laughs) Oops. Oh, that's okay. You know, I mean, you still have to do something more for your spouse, right? Than just a sixer of chocolate-covered strawberries. See, that's the key. I got. I mean, you do that and you go to dinner. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, obviously. I didn't realize I had to spell this out chapter and verse. Well, here's what I did. I did smaller gifts for my mom, 
Yeah, like a four pack, a two pack of them, just something. I got her the cherries. Oh, our cherries. Because they were smaller. So the two boxes arrived at the same time. Yeah. And my mom's box, nobody's going to see this, but was this big. But then Cheryl's box was this big, right? Was bigger. And so <laughs> that, did, that didn't come out well. That's so awesome. Tell me again. No. <laughs> Your mother's box. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> Which one's bigger? <laughs> the Sherry's the Berries stuff. Look at how red I am. Oh, Sher- oh my gosh. The Sherry's Berries stuff. I think nobody listens to this part. I know. The Who was Ber- it that wrote in? The Jeff. female tech exec or something? Who wrote in says she can't? Control her laughter on the subway. Yeah. This one's going to be a tearjerker. Female software engineer. Yeah, there right. you go. Uh, so he says. Uh, so you sent different ones so I that did. they wouldn't be the same. That's a, you know, that's an interesting upgrade idea. I did. It was clear to both my mom and to my spouse that Cheryl was getting more gift. More gift. Yeah. Yes. And you know what? My mom was fine with that. Mom, mom thought that was great. And mother-in-law, you know, got something nice too. Now I'm I'm like overwatching every word I say here. The person who bore the <laughs> child that now is my wife. So Jeff says, so OG didn't mention anything about the possibility that wife gets pissed. Better the partner than me. Jeff was happy that he didn't implement your advice. Well, I didn't realize I had to spell out exactly all of the rules because I thought that you'd pick up the fact that you would give them from someone else. Right. So grandma gets the box, but it's from the grandkids. Right. She knows who wrote the check. It doesn't matter. Mom gets them, but they're from your brothers and sister. So then look at all the like layers of people that are like, oh, dude, you saved my bacon. Right. And so if your wife is so vindictive and so self-conscious that you can't do something nice for somebody else and she gets PO'd, well, lo siento is what they say about that. All I hear is you backing off washing your hands of this, man. Just saying. I am washing my hands of it. It's a great idea. I've done it for 10 years, except this year. You didn't do it. What'd you do? <laughs> you tell everybody else it's great, it's magic, and I'm not doing it. Yeah, I forgot. Well, yeah. but after you do it once, I mean, you know, what do you do the next year? I mean, how do you... I, up- you know what? See, the problem is, is that, and I didn't, and I've done it for years and years and years, so probably everybody's like drunk, yeah. like, like twiddling their thumb, like, when's the child pick up? You know, but I didn't do it this year. We were just out of town. And I forgot about it. So, yep, nobody got nothing. No, no. Sorry. You, Mrs. OG, go to dinner? No, we did absolutely nothing. We had a kids weekend. We had to do a big kids thing. So we spent Valentine's Day in the car for seven hours, which is a really romantic way. Not in a romantic way in the car, I should say. No? No. Well, you knew where I was. So I was going to say, because, you know, in the car. Hey. hey For married couples, that's a... Yeah, it's a it's treat. A, it's a stretch. Yeah. But uh, no, the kids were there too. It was awkward. But uh, anyway, so no, we were driving. We had a long drive on Valentine's Day. Speaking of that, I was driving down the road once down 696 in the suburbs of Detroit. In the middle of the day, I'm in my suit going from one office to another office. The office in Farmington for people that live in Detroit to the office in Troy. And I'm driving along and I drive past this car that's like a boat, right? Just a boat on wheels. I just totally thought about this. I pull up next to the car and I just kind of casually look over. And I wouldn't have kept looking over, except the dude is intensely staring at me who's driving. Like, just staring at me. And then he kind of looks, like, I look and then he looks away. And he's clearly trying to pretend 
like he's not looking at me. But you can tell by the way that he's not looking at me that he still knows that I'm there, right? But you guys are driving on the highway. Yeah, and this dude is being really, really awkward. And I don't know why I kept driving right next to him. Because normally, if there's any weirdness at all, right, there's too many times weird people on the highway. You don't know what's going on, like speed up or slow down. For some reason, I kept driving next to the guy. And this is the classic part. I see hair in his lap. And then I realize why he's staring at me. So I should have given the guy a thumbs up. Big thumb up. Good work there. But anyway. All right, man. It's a good way to end the show, isn't it? Uh, For that guy, it was. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't stay around long enough. All right. Uh, We will end it there. See everybody later.